kick off episode 292 of Monster Kid Radio with the song I Just Cut My Surf Finger. It's from the band Los Surfer Compadres. It's on their EP called Pool Party. They are based out of Monterey, Mexico. The EP is on Bandcamp, and they gave us permission to play it on the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. Monster Kid Radio, welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Derek M. Cook, your writer, producer, and host. This episode is scheduled to go out on October 34th. Yeah, no, I'm not going to let it go. I keep that monster October Halloween spirit alive in my heart 24-7, 365, 366 every four years. I love October and that time of month. And yeah, I know it's behind us, but here on Monster Kid Radio, we're going to keep doing what we always do, and that's celebrating the monsters. And this week, we're going to take a look at the 1958 monster movie, Monster on the Campus. I'm not going to do it by myself, though. I've got fellow podcaster Craig Beam on the show to talk about the movie with us. You might know Craig from that one Monster Kid Radio promo he did some voice work for, or more likely, you know him from the podcast, Between Light and Shadow, a Twilight Zone podcast. I'll make sure there's a link to that in the show notes. Of course, you can find it on iTunes and several other places online as well. Craig and I are going to talk a little bit about his podcasting. We're going to play a round of the Classic Five, and then we're going to talk about Monster on the Campus, and that's all happening right after this. An upheaval of nature tears loose a creature out of the nightmare of time. Spawned by an earthquake on the bed of the ocean, a reptilian, earth-shaking beast of the sea. The monster that challenged the world. My tank. My tank. What's wrong? Blake's tank is caught in the undergrowth. Died right in front of me. I couldn't help it. Back. Talk sense. What's down there? I don't know. I never saw anything like it before. It's the size of a dinosaur, and ten times more terrifying. Hurling the horrors of the unknown at every living thing. comic book fans, I'm Joe Stuber, producer and host of Comic Book Central, where each and every week I welcome a legendary talent to the Comic Book Central lair to talk about bringing comic books to life. Greetings, true believers. This is Stan Lee. When do you think the Academy is going to wise up and create a special Oscar category for best cameo? I don't know. They're just asleep on their feet. Maybe your show, maybe this interview will be the turning point. She is Erin Gray. Erin, welcome to the show. 
So I ended up being a contract player making, I think it was $600 a week. Gil was doing great. He was making the big bucks. You got the posters, though. You got <laughs> yes. the posters. Come I on. look better in white spandex. What can I say? Hey, this is Michael Rosenbaum. Lex Luthor from Smallville. Make sure you listen to this guy's show. Sounds like a good guy. People should listen to you, Joe. Catch the very latest episodes at the website, comicbookcentral.net. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, like it on Facebook, follow it on Twitter, and be sure to join me each and every week for Comic Book Central. This is Dean Kane, Superman from Lois and Clark, and you're listening to Comic Book... Comic Book... Comic Book Central where comic books come to life. Excelsior! Twenty years ago, in the barony of Frankenstein, a monster created by man stalked through the country, bringing and killing. In time, Frankenstein, maker of the monster, died. The monster disappeared. Now, after twenty years, the son of Frankenstein returns. And fear grips the village anew. A man tainted by the blood of his father can forget his human soul and carry on the diabolical work of the Frankenstein. As a man, I should destroy him. But as a scientist, I should do everything in my power to bring him back to conscious life. Benson, turn on the generator. Produced on a vast scale... Universal Son of Frankenstein presents the most fearsome cast in the history of the screen. Basil Rathbone. In his heart, warm human emotions. In his mind, the monster mania. It's alive. Alive, you mean? Yes, alive, but alive. I thought you said our experiments... I know, I know. I too thought that we failed, but we haven't. I've actually seen it walk. Karloff, rising from the past to spread new terror. Lugosi, sinister, mysterious, evil. You see that? They hanged me once. Lionel Atwill, grim hatred in his blood. One doesn't easily forget, Herr Baron. An arm torn out of the roots. Josephine Hutchinson, her young beauty a magnet to the menace around her. I hate it here, Wolf. I'm terribly afraid all the time. I think you're a worse fiend than your father. Where is this monster? Where is he? I'll stay by your side until you confess. And if you don't, I'll feed you to the villagers. Listeners, the guest that I have on this week is making an extra effort to appear on the show because normally he hangs out in the Twilight Zone. So to pull him over to Monster Kid Radio, listeners, welcome Craig Beam to Monster Kid Radio. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. And listeners, I just got done recording with Craig for an episode of his podcast, Between Light and Shadow, a Twilight Zone podcast, which was a lot of fun to record with you, Craig. And uh, when that episode goes live... 
if this episode comes out before your episode, I'll make sure we promote it and vice versa. There'll be some cross promotion stuff happening. When do yours usually drop? Like on Tuesdays? Uh, Wednesday night, Thursday morning. So this actually, I think, may be coming out before your show. Yeah, mine's uh, next weekend. So. Okay. So listeners, stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about Twilight Zone with you real quick. Uh, you know, I've not talked about Twilight Zone proper. On Monster Kid Radio. I haven't done a lot of television on Monster Kid Radio outside of the Star Trek episode. I feel like Twilight Zone does have a home on MKR, or at least in that wheelhouse. I would venture to assume that most Monster Kids also like the Twilight Zone. Sure. My big question for you, though, is do you have a Rod Sterling suit? (laughs) You know, you'd think I would. Um, (laughs) But I don't. Um, at, At my best, I'm business casual. Okay, okay. I should rectify that. If for no other reason than, you know, the inevitable funerals I'm going to be going to. Wow. Way to take it dark, man. Wow. I mean, well, I mean, as I get older, yeah, my friends and family get older. I, I feel like it's inevitable that at some point I'm going to start going to funerals. And uh, I should have a black suit for that. So mm-hmm. I could double up. So that's how you justify it. It's like, well, I need, you know, a funeral suit, you know, but exactly. really you're just wearing it around the weekend watching Twilight Zone in your, yeah. you know, in your bedroom. I mean, I probably would do that. Um, you know the show's been going for a few weeks now there was a good run of like prelude episodes uh it's over at my life in the shadow of the twilight zone.blogspot.com right that's one place you'll find it i mean i'm i'm establishing a presence in multiple locations there you go there you go do you have a facebook page it's on facebook uh, it's on tumblr oddly it's on youtube which i guess i ticked a box when i was setting the whole thing up and didn't really think about it but apparently what it just uploads each episode and it's on youtube which is weird i don't know anybody's actually actually listening to it there but yeah huh yeah i should do that on kr between light and shadow a twilight zone podcast (laughs) so check that out that's my plug there we'll make sure i will make sure there's a link in the show notes to all this on our website people can find it craig one thing we do here on monster kid radio before we get into the topic at hand, every time we have a new guest, we do a little game. We have a little game we play called the Classic Five. New listeners, the Classic Five is five questions about classic monster movies. This or that, yes or no style questions. There are no wrong answers. I've oh, got to, so you didn't have to study. It's okay. Well, um, I was afraid that you were, it was some kind of a hazing thing. And the- <laughs> no, no, no. Unless you really, really botched something here. No, there's no Ryan. It's just fine. So I've got a deck of cards here. There's like 50, 60 questions in this deck. I'm going to give it a good shuffle. We're going to go through five cards with Craig. You ready to play the Classic Five? As ready as I will ever be. I want to make sure it's completely random. All right, here we go. Card number one, question number one. In your opinion, what two 1930s monster movies would make a great double feature? Oh, well, I hate to go with the obvious here, but uh, Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein. There's nothing wrong with going with the obvious. That's a great pick. Great films. I, I think so. All right. Card number two. Question number two. The brain that wouldn't die or they saved Hitler's brain. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, my God. Um, I'll, I'll go. They saved Hitler's brain. Okay. Uh, if just for the the schlock value of Hitler's brain. <laughs> <laughs> That's one I haven't talked about on Monster Kid Radio yet. I, I want to at some point. Forgive me. Okay, card number three. Oh, from the day the earth stood still. Oh. Klaatu or Gort? Oh. 
I guess it depends on the kind of conversation you want to have with them. <laughs> if, <laughs> if you want no conversation, you go with Gort. Okay. But now nah, I'm going to say Gort. Okay. Gort. Because you want that kind of person on your side. You know, things go sideways, something goes south. You you want Gort. Okay. You know, the physical imposing presence. Okay. You know, you got a bully bug in you, bring out your Gort. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay then. <laughs> okay, card number four. Uh, King Kong or Godzilla? Godzilla. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You a kaiju fan? I do. Yeah, but I mean, I, and I love King Kong. Don't get me wrong. Um, it, there's just, I don't know. When I was a kid, and I don't have specifics on this, but like Saturday afternoons, some channel would show an old Godzilla movie or something. So I watched a lot of that as a little kid. Um, so I think that's just deeper in my brain. Okay. And there's a new, a new film. I was right? going to ask you if you've had a chance to see it. I have not. You have, I assume. Yeah. It's, I was blown away. Really? I loved it. I would say that I haven't, you know, obviously it's not the end of the year yet, so I can't give you a tally, but of all the movies that I've seen in the theater this year, that is one of my favorites. You know, if people have a chance to see Shin Godzilla, I highly recommend it. Although be prepared to read. Lots of subtitles. I'm a big fan of foreign films, okay. so I'm able to multitask in that respect. It's a great film. All right, final card, question number five. Favorite Vincent Price film? <laughs> <laughs> These are hard this time. <laughs> oh, there's so many. I'm going to, okay, I'm. this is a weird choice probably, but I'm going to say The Tingler. Okay. I love The Tingler. Um, and uh, gosh, but there's so many. Uh, <laughs> hmm. One that's actually not not a horror film is uh, "Leave Her to Heaven," where he plays like a district attorney, and he's a he's a really like ruthless, mean guy. And I think that was kind of before he you know became the icon that he is doing horror. But now nah, I'm a Tingler, definitely the Tingler. I'm William Castle, and I feel obligated to warn you about the next attraction see at this theater. The picture is The Tingler, which I directed. And for the first time in motion picture history, members of the audience, including you, will actually play a part in the picture. You will feel some of the physical reactions, the shocking sensations experienced by the actors on the screen. I guarantee that The Tingler has more shocks per minute than my last film, The House on Haunted Hill. But don't be alarmed. You can protect yourself. When you see the picture, you will be told and remember the instruction how you can guard yourself from attack by the Tingler. And now may I show you a few scenes from the Tingler? Thank you. 
All right, so that's the classic five. Oh, that thanks was for fun. playing, Christy. Nice and easy. No, didn't leave any marks. <sighs> <laughs> I was like, wait, what? You sprung this on me like live? What? Are you? Oh my god! No, that was that was fun. That was fun. Thank you for playing. Uh, I have some new questions in the works, so people who have survived the classic five once may end up playing it again on the show in the future with a new deck, new questions. So. Is this so? This is something that you created. This is your own deck. Yeah, this is my own thing. Now, Scott Morris, who's been on the show quite a bit, contributed some of the questions here um, of this deck. Now, I've got a few other people who have contributed questions to the next deck that'll be coming out. Well, when I say coming out, I mean unleashing it here on the show because right, right now it's not out there available to you know for anybody. But it is something that I want to do next year. I know I keep saying it. I want to make it available in some way to people to either oh, download cool. or purchase or whatever. Oh yeah, that's oh that'd be neat. That's a good idea. We'll figure something out. I got to figure out some quote unquote rules to make it a real game that people can play uh-huh. together, as opposed to just me springing it on people on a podcast. Drinking game. Oh, Drinking huh. Game. <laughs> that could go places. It could. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now that I'm thinking about that, yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Anyway, okay. So uh, we we are warmed up. We're talking about monsters. Listeners know you a little bit better. Let's talk about movie this week. I say that if you were injected with this, you'd revert to a primitive anthropoid, physically as well as mentally. One scientist dared investigate the incredible phenomena. Our pet dog reverted to an antediluvian wolf. Look at those teeth. That dog is a throwback. Our simple dragonfly had become a winged monster of a species extinct for millions of years. Now, before your very eyes, see a man revert to a half-human anthropoid from the dawn of creation. A monster leaving behind a trail of death and destruction. Oh, it's impossible. Nobody's got a footprint like that. I'll rest when I find the killer. That's not your responsibility. That belongs to the police. Madeline, I know what I'm doing. Even he did not suspect the incredible truth. Neither did the police, nor the girl coming to keep a lover's rendezvous. Monster on the campus from 19... Oh, there you go. It actually does have a lot of that, doesn't it? With the Universal Stinger. Yeah, that 50s. I love it. Or something, yeah. 1958. And a lot of people, I, I need to go back and I need to check this. A lot of resources online are telling me that this film was pretty much the last of the Universal sci-fi cycle. Well, it, it does sort of have that stink of death on it. Uh- <laughs> oh, man. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> So when Craig and I were talking about getting him on Monster Kid Radio, we're like, well, let's pick a movie. Let's talk about something. And he asked me, do you have a list? Well, no, I don't have a master list. Something I need to get to, listeners, and I'll work on it, I promise. But, you know, I wanted to talk about this one because I haven't talked about Jack Arnold in a while, and I, I kind of like it. And, yeah. Um, That's fair. Yeah. So let's see. Let's see how it goes. <laughs> so it's directed by Jack Arnold. Yes. Who, for me, one of the iconic universal sci-fi guys. I mean, pretty much the guy. When you think about the classic sci-fi films from this era, Uh you can't get too far away from Jack Arnold. Even movies that he didn't direct might still have that Jack Arnold vibe, uh, like, you know, the mole people, things like that. Um, Of course, he's the man behind Tarantula, Creature Mm -hmm. from the Black Lagoon, Revenge of the Creature. Some solid films. Yes. 
but he didn't like this one. <laughs> um, there was an interview that he did, he gave a few years ago, well, several years ago, because he passed away in 92. He said he did this movie as a favor to the producer. A favor? Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't a big fan of the script. Um, he had worked with the producer, Joe Gershonson. I may have mispronounced that, I'm not sure. Joe Gershonson? Anyway, he was the head of music at Universal and did a lot of the music supervision on a lot of these movies. This was one of the first ones, if not the first one, he actually just served as producer on. A favor, you say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I realize with films of this style, mm-hmm. you should look at it, you know, through the lens of time. But being forgiven just based on when was this, was this film made? Under what circumstances was this film made? The notes I took are fairly unforgiving. Uh, so I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna try to not just bash this thing the whole time, but this is a pretty silly movie. Oh, sure. You know, I think it stretches. Well, I don't want to say the limits of credibility because we're talking about, you know, <laughs> a giant fish whose blood causes you to evolve backwards. Sure. Which that's is how evolution works. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, they did the same plot on a Star Trek The Next Generation episode. Come on. You know, you oh. can devolve. That's fine. You know, whatever. It's wonky science. Well, I'm trying to think of which episode you're talking there about. There was one, it didn't have a fish, but there wasn't an episode where all the crew members started, like, reverting back to a previous state in their evolution. And Worf yeah. went nuts and tried to kill everybody, and, and Troy ended up needing to be in water, I think. I, I don't remember. Right. Okay, that's right. And so it's wonky science. Oh, yeah. And uh, a wonky scientist. Because Dr. Blake... Is it fine to just get into it now? Yeah, let, let, yeah. We got Doctor Blake played by Arthur Franz, who was in Abbott and Costello Meet the Invisible Man, which is actually like my second favorite of that run, the Abbott and Costello films. His lab protocols are terrible. <laughs> I mean, it is, I, and I'm not a scientist. I mean, I took you know science classes in school or whatever, but I do recall that you know there are a number of protocols and and safety concerns and you know things that you're supposed to do to ensure. Disasters don't happen. Dr. Blake is the worst scientist I've ever seen as far as just being sloppy and careless. The coelacanth is delivered in an unrefrigerated van. (laughs) This thing is supposed to be frozen. And by the time it gets there, I mean, it's already melting. I mean, it's already thawing out. It's bloody water is dripping out of the van. Well, and he opens it up in the van, too. He doesn't even take it into the lab. He says, let's crack it open and look at it. Jumps in the back of the van and just opens that puppy up. Because, you know, that's a sterile environment. Sure. The back of this unrefrigerated van. And then, so we have the dog lapping up the bloody fish water off of the pavement. And they have that whole thing where the dog goes crazy. They leave it, the coelacanth, in the van. So this prehistoric large fish that's already thawing out is now left in the back of the van for, we don't know how long a few hours. I don't know, but the doctor is doing like his tests on the dog's saliva and stuff before they even bring the fish in. So I'm assuming some time has passed. Sure. And then they bring the fish in and he says, well, we need to get this thing in the freezer before it spoils. I'm well, thinking ooh. it's, it's already spoiled, dude. I mean, yeah, you've waited a little too long. You're, yeah. This thing is, is thoroughly thought out by now. Uh, and it just goes on from there. I mean, so he's going to put it in the freezer. The, the shipping crate, the shipping crate is on wheels, right? Because uh-huh. they rolled it into the lab. Sure. Now he could just roll it over to the freezer. He's got a big walk-in freezer in his lab. He's got to pick the coelacanth up to carry it into the freezer. 
So now it's dripping wet. It's dripping all over his lab, which again, labs are supposed to be kept pretty sterile, right? I don't know if he's trying to impress the female that's on site. <laughs> I don't know what he's doing, but he picks this thing up. He carries it into the freezer. He's, he's holding it by the teeth. There's no glove. There's no anything. He's just holding it by the teeth. So of course, when he sets it down, he's going to impale his hand on the teeth, but it goes on from there because then when they're going to move the uh, shipping crate on, on wheels out of the lab, he dunks his hand in the bloody fish water in the crate. And then he doesn't wash his hands, but he's got this wound in his hand now from the teeth. He's sucking the wound to stop the bleeding. So his, <laughs> his wounded hand dunked in fish water, he's sucking the wound to stop the bleeding. And he makes a point of saying he doesn't have a first aid kit anywhere. This is a university professor, <laughs> right? Uh, this is someone who is in charge of cultivating younger minds and teaching science things. <laughs> and presumably part of that curriculum is don't be an idiot in the lab. How has he survived this long? There are, I mean, <laughs> Well, I mean, let's just say that Dunsfield University is not known for their science program. Right, let's just say that. Is that even a real thing? I, I, I don't know. I actually, well, it's, we do find out at some point that it's in California. Right. So I, I looked it up and there, it doesn't appear to be a Dunsfield, California. So no. my guess is it's not a real university, but there's like this whole like 10 minute stretch where I'm just yelling at the TV. Like, no, don't do that. It's just, I mean, he's sucking. <laughs> I'm just a. Uh, when he walks out and he's just sucking on his hand, I just thought, oh, dear God. Mm -hmm. It's like, ah. And then nobody ever seems to mind that what has to be the overpowering stench of room temperature prehistoric giant fish. I have to guess it's just obnoxious, right? But nobody sure. seems to mind. Ah. So we have that. <laughs> so, you know, and, and these kinds of films, I mean, you know, Things are going to go wrong. I mean, that's the whole point. They, they have like to to have the story. Science gone wrong. Mm -hmm. So we're, you know, whatever monster we're creating from science gone wrong, we have to get there. But <laughs> I, I feel like this guy is asking for it in so many different ways. Well, and the story goes to great uh, effort to make sure we understand that, yes, he is infected by this, whatever yes. it is. <laughs> he, he scratches himself on the teeth. So he gets bitten by a prehistoric fish, basically. Uh, so it's in his bloodstream. Then he starts sucking it out. Later on, we get some stuff dropped into his pipe tobacco. I mean, the story itself, we, we know something's going to happen here. Right. But, you know, I mean, as far as the science goes, that's what happens in these movies. It's just in this one, it seems very hitch over the head with it, with a Bunsen burner. I mean, it really makes sure you get it that he's, yeah. And not that we're supposed to like respect Dr. Blake and, you know, look up to him as a man of science. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. they really, it's to his discredit. I mean, it's true that they go to these lengths to make this happen because, I mean, he could have, e they could have easily had him get infected any number of different ways. Could have been bitten by the dog, could have been, uh, exactly. you know, anything. It could have been anything. But yes, yeah, splashing his hand into the thawed fish juice. <laughs> thawed fish juice. To, to to be fair, though, I mean, as far as Dunsfield University goes, it's not like they were cutting edge science. I mean, they had that that row of um, faces yeah. of yeah. prehistoric man, and they had Piltdown Man up in there. Uh -huh. Piltdown Man is a fake; it's been debunked, but it was debunked years before this movie came out. 
<laughs> so I did like that that row of of plaster faces, heads. Though. Yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. Well, that was cool, but the way they get the woman added to it. Uh, okay, so one of the first lines Doctor Blake says is, "Ah, the human female in the perfect state, helpless and silent." <laughs> All right, look. Now, he may have been kind of cracking a joke to get his fiance kind of riled up, but still, it's the 50s. I get it. That's what happens in these movies, but that was a bit much. Yeah, there's, I mean, certainly a misogynistic little, little vibe in that little scene. She doesn't seem to mind. No, and he's respectful later when the other very attractive woman practically throws herself at him. Right. And he turns her down. So, I mean, good for you, Dr. Blake. Right. But, you know, by then he smells like the, you know, room temperature prehistoric True. fish. So, True. you know, he doesn't have to rebuff her too hard because, yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's funny. So you mentioned, you know, the, the blood in the pipe thing. Yeah. I mean, that's a little further into the movie, but. Well, and he even comments, you know, this tastes funny. Oh, well, let's just keep smoking. Ah, it. You know, hey, that was hysterical to me. I mean, that was just, uh, it became camp at that point. If mm-hmm. it wasn't already there. As soon as that blood dripped into his pipe, and you immediately know, oh, no, he's going to smoke that. Oh, no. You know, it's just. It's Chekhov's I, gun, but it's <laughs> camp cheesier. But, I mean, that's a whole nother example of how bad of a scientist this guy is. So we have the the giant dragonfly, mm-hmm. which I love, by the way. That sure. giant dragonfly is awesome. Oh, yeah. Uh, it lands on the coelacanth, so he stabs it. He has now stabbed two probably priceless scientific specimens in one shot just impales it yep and then he carries it across the room presumably dripping blood because you know his lab is by no means a sterile environment drips into his pipe he sets it on his desk and just leaves it there now this is a creature that should not exist at all Mm -hmm. somehow we have this giant prehistoric dragonfly which again you would think same as the coelacanth, you would think would be treated with some level of care. He just throws it on his desk. He could have at least put it in the freezer or something. Sure. I mean, he doesn't know at that point that it's just going to revert back soon after that. But still, I I did like the way they, they shot that, though, where it's kind of through his from his perspective. Right. Because he's starting to trip out after he smokes his pipe, which I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's supposed to be a sly little. Because I think people were, were, were smoking pot by then, right? <laughs> so, we were talking about Tingler earlier, so, I mean, you had LSD. In the 50s. Right. You so know, Who knows? Maybe that's, I don't know. But, uh, Not that you smoke, anyway. Well, we're in Oregon. You can. Well. <laughs> they, do, they do allow that here. But, uh, but the way they shoot that through his eyes, because his vision is all blurred. So you just see this big, blurry dragonfly just sort of shrink down as it returns to its natural state. I just thought that was pretty funny i, I kind of like that though that, that we were able to see it that way that way we didn't have to reveal i don't know the the lack of special effects budget i don't know i mean I, right. I thought for all of its issues regarding science and um blake's approach to his job mm-hmm. i feel like there are some things about this movie that really work like that mm-hmm. uh, like, like the transformation scenes altogether. i mean it's lap dissolves right but i mean they're still good lap dissolves i mean you don't have too much of a change in position uh, when he starts to transform. So, to, uh, right. for example, uh, it, it does work. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but I, I feel like the Lepers also have gotten much better than what we saw in the 40s with the Wolfman, which again, great film, but 
right. Yeah, there are some wonky. No, yeah, they've, yeah, they've done it a few times, so it's cleaner. The effect is cleaner. That's the word I'm looking for, cleaner. Oh. Listeners, we record in the morning. Right. <laughs> Sometimes words elude me when I haven't had enough coffee. So, yeah, cleaner. There you go. No, and by no means do I hate this movie. No, no, I don't get that impression at all. I mean, when we talk about these movies and we look at these issues, one thing that I like to do on Monster Kid Radio is even though these movies have these issues, and it's it's completely fair to talk about them, you know, we still want to celebrate the, the good stuff. And I feel like there is some good stuff in here. There is. I um, You know, I, I said a minute ago that I really like the... Uh, the giant dragonfly. I sure. Mean, of course you can see the strings. Yeah, but so what? Uh, but of course. But I mean, that I would expect to. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't CGI this thing in there because that wasn't. A, but I love the coelacanth is great, too. Um, and I actually, after I, I, I watched this twice. Okay. Um, in preparation for this, I Google imaged coelacanth because I couldn't remember off the top of my head, like, what does this really look like? Mm-hmm. It's actually not that different from the one in the film. Really? I mean, I don't. They, I don't. I don't think they were going for like authenticity, but there's enough. You know, I mean, you can kind of see that. Oh yeah, okay. They kind of, and you know, you don't get a lot of really good looks at it. But there, the scene where he carries it across the room into the freezer. I mean, you get a fairly good shot of it just out of the box. Mm-hmm. You get some good scale, and maybe that's why they did it is to have scale of that. Yeah, yeah. But no, I think. I mean, that would be a neat thing to have. Just that prop. Big yeah. Giant fish. Just you know. I'd rather have the the giant uh, dragonfly and just hang it from the ceiling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, some people like you know Star Wars fans have like the Tie Fighter hanging from their ceiling. I want the giant prehistoric dragonfly hanging from mine. That would be cool. Yeah. Um, be really so no, cool. there is. I mean, and I think with any film like this, one of the draws is the special effects. You know, sure. The monsters. That's the whole mm-hmm. point, right? Sure. This is Monster it's Kid Radio. Right there in the, and it's right there in the title. It's Monster on the Campus. Uh, but I love, I love the, I love the coelacanth. I love the dragonfly. Um, mm-hmm. I don't love the actual monster quite as much, but you it's know, not, it's not terrible. But I feel like, okay, because this is what about four years, four or five years after Creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah, this was fifty-eight. So, so, so that's, I mean, and I'm, I'm assuming probably there was more money thrown at Creature from the Black Lagoon. But I mean, that's that's a very intricate monster. The design, I mean, there's, sure, it's very, it's very, it's highly detailed. Do we have a name for this this monster? I call him in my notes. I call him Proto Blake. <laughs> hey, that's it. We'll call him Proto Blake. So the action figure that'll be released, I hope someday, we'll call it Proto Blake. It'll have the coelacanth as like a little accessory that he can Ooh. hold in his hand and wield like a club. I don't know, and an axe, and an axe, and an axe. Yes, yeah. it's it's an immobile mask. You yeah, know, it's it's not like you know you could look at things like the Wolfman built onto the face, so he can still emote. He can still. This is a immobile mask, and I mean, creature is an immobile mask, but. I, I don't know. Something about that works better for me because he's aquatic. You know, you you think of like a fish's face. Right. I think they really nailed that. Millicent Patrick, with the design of that, really nailed that. I mean, you got the mouth moving, but that it's not like a fish can furrow its brows, you know? So, I exactly. mean, it, to have a solid face piece, that's fine. Yeah. But for something like this, you just have that looks like a slip-on mask. And whether right. it was or not, that's what it comes across looking like. And it would be nice if you could actually see a little bit of Blake in that face. Yeah kind of have that immediate connection. I mean, we all know that it's him. Right. But they couldn't, even if they wanted to, though, they couldn't because Arthur Franz didn't play the monster. Right. You know, they had uh, Eddie Parker, who was a stuntman, who had done some other monster work. I believe he was the Dr. Hyde in the Abbott and Costello, mm-hmm. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and a few other things. I think maybe at one point he was Frankenstein's monster for something. Like he doubled for somebody. But yeah, Eddie Parker is the man in the suit. So even if they wanted to, it's not like they could even give us Donald Blake's eyes in the mask. It had to be a complete total makeup for that reason. 
unfortunately. Right. right. But it's not, I mean, it's not terrible. I mean, I mean, I, and I'm not suggesting that it's terrible. I just, my takeaway was I like the coelacanth and the dragonfly. Yes. <laughs> Those were the things that really leapt out at me. Sure. But what Proto Blake does do for me is it reminds me of the Incredible Hulk. Not so much the comic Hulk, not so much the Marvel Cinematic Universe Hulk, but the TV Hulk. Nice. From the, the 70s show, which was a favorite show of mine as a kid. Okay. I had been reading the Hulk comics for a couple of years, and then that show came on. And it's it's really nothing like the comics. Absolutely not. But I not. love that series to death. That I, series was my first exposure to what the Hulk was. So, yeah, I've got a lot of fondness for that. So you look at Proto Blake, you know, and, like, he's got the torn-up shirt, you know. And even though he doesn't look really much bigger than Dr. Blake, I mean, you never see them side by side, but I don't know that he's, like, physically, like, larger but he, you know, his clothes rip up nonetheless. But what's interesting to me, and in watching this, this sent me kind of on a whole little nostalgic trip through the TV Incredible Hulk, which is on Netflix. I was pulling up different episodes and looking at things. And in the pilot, they describe the Hulk as an evolutionary throwback, a primitive subhuman. Oh, okay. Which is exactly, you know, what the Proto Blake is. Mm-hmm. And. I just thought that was cool. I really enjoyed that association because it kind of, I got to reconnect with, with this, uh, this show that I loved so much. I haven't watched the Hulk in years and I know it's on me TV, so I should, I think it's on me TV, isn't it? Uh, I don't know. Well, it's on Netflix. Yeah, it's out there somewhere and I should go back and revisit some of these, uh, the series itself, not the TV movies later because those got a little, but <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know. uh, yeah. The, the one with Thor is hysterical. Oh, that's, yeah. It is. It's, it's, it's wonderfully terrible. It's, it's a thing. Yeah. Um, but I should go back and rewatch that. What I do like about this monster when he does transform and then he comes back, mm-hmm. unlike what we see in some of the Wolfman movies, he's still wearing the same clothes. You know, he's right. still, <laughs> uh, you know, he's still got the torn up shirt. Now, his fiance is not very quick on the uptake and doesn't nope. make the connection that, hey, you're wearing the same shirt that guy was wearing, you know. Yeah, but, that I just saw five minutes ago. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, I do appreciate that, and I appreciate the attention to those types of details. Yeah, so there was some level of, you know, like continuity mm-hmm. there versus, you know, he just transforms back. and mm-hmm. Yeah. But I want to back up just a little bit. Okay. And just touch on something that happened earlier. So the first time that he transforms, he murders... I don't know who she is. Is she like his lab assistant? Yeah. The relationship there, I'm not – She, I know what she wants the relationship to be. Oh, sure. <laughs> when they discover her mm-hmm. hanging in that tree, that to me – I mean, it's 1958. Mm-hmm. That to me was really visceral because they really just kind of linger on her face, this blank – dead expression mm-hmm. and you would expect that as like a shot a shock like insert shot really mm-hmm. quick they just show that for a while she's just hanging there like she's a prop right and i thought that that was very i, I mean i don't want to say forward thinking because <laughs> we've already touched on the misogyny aspect but but it's just um I, i'm trying to think of another example of a film of that vintage or even earlier that really just lingers on a dead person for that long where you just get a really good look at her dead face. Right. And she plays it well, you know, it's not a prop. I mean, it's really the actress and she plays it really well. It's creepy. And it is, it's really creepy. And it, to me, it really stuck out because everything leading up to that was kind of all this big goofy science. And all of a sudden it's like, Whoa, that is dark. I mean, that is really shocking. 
And they do it again later, not not quite as well, but when Proto Blake throws the hatchet at the uh, at the park ranger guy. <laughs> right, that was the other thing. Right in the face. I was going to mention that too. There are some moments in here that you're right. Forward thinking isn't probably the best way to put it because right. of some of the other issues in the film. But there are things in this film that you didn't see just a few years earlier. Both this and then another Universal movie from 58, The Thing That Couldn't Die, where you've got the severed head talking oh, right. stuff. Right. We're, we're getting to an era here in just film in general, horror film in general, where things are getting a little bit more... Uh, graphic's not quite the word either, because it's not ultra bloody. Right. But, but we are seeing some more shocking things happening in these films. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't even know if they would have shown this stuff pre-code, but those two instances are, are really shocking. I mean, it's, it's surprising because again, the film around those moments is, it's goofy. You know, it's a, it's a monster movie. And there's, I think with a traditional monster movie, at least up to this point, it's not necessarily dark. Right. You know, they're not trying to disturb you. They're trying to entertain you. They're trying to scare you here and there, you know, but there's a sense of fun, but yeah. Yes. This is like real. I mean, she looks really dead. (laughs) She does. Um, and that I could see like that could be more disturbing, especially for younger viewers Mm -hmm. than the idea of like this devolved scientist running around terrorizing the town because, you know, I think contextually from a kid standpoint, and it's like, it's, oh, it's another monster, you know, oh, haha, this is fun. You know, the monster's going to die at the end. This monster's not going to come and get me, but people really die. (laughs) I mean, sure. and, And how many kids watching that movie have never seen a dead person before? I, I get to see how that could be really disturbing. I mean, I, as a, a monster kid, as a horror enthusiast, I mean, I was like very happy for that. I was happy to see that <laughs> just because it was so, I wasn't expecting it. Right. And, you know, I mean, you know, we've all seen a ton of movies like this and mm-hmm. um, I had never seen it before watching it for this. Um, I did not see that coming. I would not have expected something that graphic and visceral to show up. I don't know where it's like, it's just right there. It's like, Oh, it does. There's a jarring sense to it. There's a incongruity to it. Now with some of the other Arnold films, characters die. Sure. You know, in creature, the gill man, you know, kills a couple people and they, they come across the the wrecked tent and there's that guy's arm kind of just sitting in the foreground, whatever. But this, I think is the first time that we really linger on a corpse and you see the whole thing and you get a a sense of, of who it is, what it, what happened. Right. in, In the, creature when he kills the one scientist you know the body pops up and just kind of floats their face down there's still kind of a detachment there exactly with this one because you can see her eyes because she's just hanging there and and hanging pretty free it's not like she's just standing there (laughs) i mean she's been hooked on or or tied to the branches by her hair is that what happened there i I had to rewind that a couple times because it wasn't clear but as far as i could tell yeah she was hanging there by her hair which is just horrible to begin with right i mean that's awful it is awful. And then later with that hatchet or that axe moment, when he yeah. throws the axe, I mean, shades of that one scene in front of the 13th, just, whoop, you know, throw the axe and that's that. Uh, he's a dead eye with that axe. Yes, uh, he is. Is that just something that like in genetic memory, like everybody could do that? Like if we devolved, would we be really good with an axe? Do I have to devolve to become good with an axe? That's what I... Probably not. You know, he devolved and then could still use the tools. You know, he had a problem with the door. You know, we right. couldn't get through a door, but window we can go through. But door, you know, it's a solid thing, you know, this object permanent thing, you can't see through it, so it's whatever. But you can use a tool. You can pick up an axe and throw it with deadly accuracy. Right, and that's, that's odd. But one of the things I really loved about 
the proto Blake is so he jumps through that window or that's before that, because it's when he's just kind of walking around the living room of that cabin, mm-hmm. his movements, there's something very almost simian in the way he walks around, which I thought was, was a nice little touch. Uh, and then he jumps out the window, then he jumps up onto that fence. There was, I don't know, you know, as far as uh, like an evolutionary concept, sure. um, it was kind of neat that there was some level of simian movement there. I think Eddie Parker doesn't get the credit he deserves. Uh, you know, having played the monster stuntman roles in so many of these movies, he was not just a stunt guy. I mean, he had to act with his body and bring these moments to this film. You know, he does something similar in the Abbott and Costello Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde movie, and that is a like pull-on mask style type makeup, but he moves differently. I mean, there, there's a distinct difference in how he's approaching the character and, and how they walk and manipulate things on screen. I think you're right. I mean, it's a really interesting choice and really kind of refreshing to see something that thought out going to a movie where some other things aren't really that thought out. There's a lot of tonal shift in this, um, mm. which is funny. I almost feel funny even talking about things like tonal shifts in a movie like this, but <laughs> I mean, because it is, you've got this kind of long stretches of kind of traditional, you know, already been done stuff, you know, with, a uh, guy turns into a monster kind of thing and you know, science gone wrong stuff and kind of the, the inherent goofiness in that. And then suddenly we have these very shocking death scenes, but then there's also, yeah, like you said, there's some actual forethought in the way that the, the creature moves around and it's, it is, it's kind of, cause you think, okay, so yeah. So, you know, I know now movies are written by a committee, you know, even when there's one or two names, there's still 20 people that wrote that. Right. And I don't know how, how it was this time in film history. But they're definitely, it does kind of feel like like different people wrote different parts. You know, and I wonder how much of that is, you know, Jack Arnold coming onto the project and maybe making some tweaks here and there. Mm. Yeah. Because I, I feel like the bits with him moving in a particular way in that, in that living room scene you're talking about, that feels like a Jack Arnold thing. Yeah. Some of the other stuff doesn't feel very scientific. You know, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to... Hmm. See, the person whose credit is writing this is David Duncan. You know, he wrote The Black Scorpion from 57, and I love that movie quite right. a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he did the English version of Rodan, which, you know, has its moments. I kind of dig it. Yeah. But, you know, there's just something about this movie that doesn't quite feel connected. It could have been two different things. It is. It is. There's a very, yeah, to me, I mean, I said tonal shift, but there is a disconnected aspect to it mm-hmm. where it's like you're rolling along, and then it kind of goes in a different direction, then it kind of comes back, and it's... And then, I mean, that carries through to the very end. The ending was uh, was really strange to me. It's strange to me that it just ends the way that it does. And I, I don't know if this is more just how bad of a scientist Dr. Blake is, but he just sort of, once he confirms for himself that he is, in fact, the monster, you know, he does the whole thing where he sets up the camera, mm-hmm. ties the string around the whole room, and does this whole thing. And then it's just kind of a cool moment. I mean, cool yeah. little bit. That he realizes, oh, okay, it, that's confirmation. I, I am this creature. His choice at that point is uh, he's just going to kill himself. He's going to yeah. get himself shot. And I thought, well, this discovery that he's made, however clumsily he's made it, <laughs> however, mm-hmm. however just goofily he has arrived at this, this is kind of an, a major thing. Because basically he's discovered a way to regress an organic being to a previous evolutionary state. The scientific importance of that is staggering because 
in a controlled environment, they could study, you know, they could regress all kinds of species. I mean, they could really map evolution of all of animals, people, insects, everything. They could fill in all of these blanks in the genetic history of the planet. And it just seems to me <laughs> like his decision to just, oh, I'm just going to have them shoot me. He just kind of gives up. He does give up. And the thing is, and this is the thing that really gets me, and I, I was comparing this to the Incredible Hulk TV show. Mm-hmm. David Banner has a real problem because he can't control it. If he gets hurt, if he gets angry, he's going to transform and he's going to maybe, he's going to damage a bunch of stuff and maybe kill somebody. Mm-hmm. But the coelacanth plasma thing, it's a one shot thing. Like you get infected with that, you have, you devolve and then you, you come back and that's it. It's not a recurring transformation. He has to re-expose himself every time, whether it's the first time by impaling his hand on the teeth of the, of the coelacanth, the second time the blood in the pipe, then he has to inject the plasma into himself the, the last two times. Right. So he doesn't have to keep doing that, right? <laughs> He could just stop injecting that stuff into himself. The decision-making process there was. (laughs) I mean, that was what cracked me up. It's like, well, you don't have to just stop giving that. Stop injecting yourself with that and you will not transform again. Mm -hmm. I mean, given the level of just clumsiness the scientist has, has displayed, he may very well continue to accidentally expose himself, you know, but he could, you know, send the coelacanth away or something. But yeah, I just uh, that struck me as being very short-sighted. And beyond that, this is the worst thing about this. He gets himself shot to death. That coelacanth is still in his freezer, right? This coelacanth that has been exposed to gamma radiation. Anyone else that touches that thing and maybe gets exposed to, to its blood or mm-hmm. anything is going to have this same problem. Now, I don't know if that was an intentional thing so that maybe like if this had been a big hit, they could have gone back and done sequels. But that is on top of everything else that the scientist has done. That to me is the most reckless because he's leaving the problem out there. Right. He's not solving the problem by killing himself. He's just preventing himself from ever doing it again. That's not going to stop somebody else. And I don't know if that's just lazy writing or if maybe there's, I don't know more to it. I mean, was this a bit? I, I know you can look up like, box office stuff right i didn't do that for this so i don't know if this movie made any money i mean obviously things were winding down at this point at universal right yeah there there was a a shift in just what kind of movies people wanted to see you know monster movies genre movies that sort of thing uh how this movie did i'm not sure i mean i'll be honestly i I don't i don't really know well if it had been a huge hit they probably would have made another one so or at least kept the subgenre going or the genre going right and maybe that's i mean maybe you have to do that in these kinds of movies you have to leave a door Mm mm-hmm well, that that seems to be something that Jack Arnold did a lot too on his movies. He would typically leave like an opening in mm-hmm. a lot of these things. So, you know, you don't really see. I don't know. I don't really know. I'm just the choices that he makes. I mean, I, I like him as an actor. I like Arthur France a sure. lot, especially when he does genre work. I love it. Love him in Abbott and Costello and the Invisible Man. It's one of my favorites. Like I said, and he's fantastic. I need to watch that because I haven't seen that for a really, really long time. Oh, it's great. I mean, I love it. I could watch it right now. You know, but. Man, the choices the character makes, and I guess we can blame it on the script. Right. Pretty unsanitary, pretty careless. <laughs> unsanitary, that's, you know? It's kind of horrific. My my daughter's taking some science classes right now, and I thought it'd be fun to have her watch it with me and just start, don't mm-hmm. do this in the lab. Don't do any <laughs> of this in the lab. But she won't watch black and white, so. Oh, man. 
yeah, go I, to your room. I failed as a parent. <laughs> she, well, you know, and, uh, you know, she's kind of popped into the Twilight Zone podcast a couple of times, just brief little, little bits, but she won't watch the Twilight Zone. <laughs> it's, it's in black and white. I think it's a generational thing. The kids yeah. don't want to see that. It's depressing. It's sad. Uh, so monster on the campus. <laughs> yeah, boy. Um, so we talked about quite a bit. Uh, monster on the campus, though, in terms of availability, is available on DVD as a standalone oh. and as part of a box set. Now, the standalone is going for like 30 plus dollars on Amazon, which tells me it's about to go out of print on Am- uh, as a single disc from Universal. And typically how they do it is they jack the prices up. I don't know why. They just do. Um, so oh, you, can, you can find uh, it that way, or you can get it in a box set, which I think is what you said you had it as, right? Yeah, it's in the um, classic sci-fi Ultimate Collection, which also has the Monolith Monsters, the Incredible Shrinking Man, the Mole People, Tarantula. Is that it? Seems like oh, is that is there just five? Seems like there was three, three. Yeah, it looks like it's just five. And to be fair, even though I enjoyed this movie, I think probably a little bit more than Craig did. The other movies on that box set are better. Oh sure. <laughs> I mean, this, this is kind of like the. Yeah. Uh, again, I'm, I apologize to the redheaded stepchildren out there, but, um, it's a bit of that. You know, it's, it's, I mean, on its own, it's great. You know, but you start lining it up against the others and it's like, oh, okay. Well, you know, what's weird is why is them not on that collection? Well, it wasn't universal. Oh mm. my God. There, there goes my cred right there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it very well could have been. I mean, it feels like a, a universal monster movie, but it also has an edge I don't think universal was able to pull off at the time. I'm not sure why that is. Yeah, that monster on the campus single disc at thirty one sixty eight right now. I'm that's nuts. Up. That is nuts. And that's part of their. Um, let's see. Yeah, that's just crazy. The cover that they show on Amazon is a looks like a Spanish poster. Hmm. Interesting. Huh. But it doesn't look like it's a vault. I mean, a lot of these other movies from that same collection subsequently came out uh, in single discs, but they're from the the Universal Vault series. Right. The multiple monolith monsters. This one doesn't appear to be that. So this one got a full on. Oh, you know what? They do have, I'm digging a little deeper. They do have a full, a vault series release of it for 15 bucks. Oh, they do. Oh, I don't know if it's a different transfer or what, but yeah. Oh, okay. There it is. Okay. But yeah, buy it in that box set, guys. And that, that's a good set. If you don't yeah. already have these movies, it's a great right. set. You don't already have them. And several of those have come out on Blu-ray. I think again in Germany, right? Tarantula did. And yeah. It looks great. Uh, see, I, well, yeah. And see, some of these other, you know, going back to the classic monster movies, some of those came out on Blue in France. Right. And they, it's a, they got really cool cover art. They do. Um, it's a really neat kind of a, it's a collection. There's a unifying design yes. to all of it. I looked into that. I almost ordered Werewolf of London. And I think then they announced that the, the Wolfman set was coming out on Blu-ray. So I held off. I've heard that there are differences. They're, they aren't the same transfers. Um, sure. My take is that the, the French ones, there's more grain. Like they're a little more, cause these, these Blu-rays, I mean, they, again, they look beautiful, but they look really polished. You know, so you, you lose some of the film grain. Mm-hmm. The French ones apparently retain more of that. So it's, I guess it's a preference thing. Yeah. I know there's, there's two schools of thought there, you know, DNR or not DNR, you know, digital noise reduction or not. I, well, there's a glossiness, I guess, that you end up with. And I, I feel like some of these, you know, older universal movies, I, I, I feel like that's okay. I mean, there's a sheen, I think, that you get. And, and it doesn't bother me, personally. You know, there have been transfers that I've seen of films where there was so much DNR that it was, the people looked like wax dummies. I yeah. Mean, where it just obliterates all detail. And I mean, that's obviously, that's not what you want. That's to too see. far. But, you know, you apply it, you know, 
judiciously here and there. You know, I think these look great. Again, I, I'm going to keep going back to this. You throw on Son of Frankenstein on Blu-ray, it is insane. I, I did not look at that and think, ah, oh, where's all the grain? It's not that there's no grain. It's just there's not as much as you would see if they didn't do that. But it, they still look beautiful. So put that on your Christmas list. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking I got to make sure I put that on my wish, my, my wish list for Christmas because uh, I have to cut myself off from movie buying right now. So. I actually went quite a while without getting anything. But like the last month, I realized that, oh, I've bought maybe maybe I'm doing better at shopping the deals than because historically I just buy what I want and then I suffer later for it. <laughs> um, so maybe I'm a little bit be, being a little more careful. Like when the Wolfman came out, the Blu-ray set Best Buy had it for 15 bucks as a pre-order, which for some reason I didn't do it that way. And then it was back ordered for like six weeks. And I don't think that even now, I don't think they have it for that low anymore, but they're cheaper now on Amazon. So if I had just waited like a month, yeah. but I do all the finances. So, <laughs> so I can, I can, I can creatively conceal some of that. So you can't see that I'm spending that money, but, um, Oh, okay. Okay. Your wife doesn't uh, listen to this, does she? Um, she doesn't really listen to podcasts. Okay. Um, I think okay. she listened to the first couple of mine just, you know, cause she felt like she had to, but I feel like that's tapered off. I don't think she's listening anymore. <laughs> um, which you think she listened at least cause she shows up in there here and there, but right. yeah, I don't think she, no, I, I love her she, bits. I love her contributions. Yeah. She's so funny. And my daughter is hilarious. There's a pretty funny bit in the new one I just put out that I, I, I like quite a bit. She brings me a beer. Let's, I'll just leave it at that. Oh, okay. And it's funny. All right. Again, she has, my daughter has zero interest in anything like this. She's a very much 2016 teenage girl, uh, but she's been a pretty good sport about participating. So thanks, honey. She's never going to hear this, but thanks, honey. <laughs> but yeah, no, Monster on the Campus. Anyway, I mean, I, it's it's a universal monster movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's obviously not in the sense that, you know, universal monsters. Right. But, you know, so it's automatically essential for that reason alone. It's part of something bigger. And if you're a completist and I'm a completist, you have to have it. Mm-hmm. It pales in comparison to a lot of other stuff. But sure. it's still, it's, it's fun. If you're going to watch it, maybe avoid watching it when you've watched something else from Universal recently or right, uh, right before or after. Well, I mean, it's a standalone piece, I suppose. You know, it's not bad. But you're right. When you start comparing it to, well, pretty much anything else, uh, <laughs> Universal, you know, I mean, not seriously. I mean, I was going to say Jekyll and Hyde, but that wasn't Universal. You know, the 1940s Jekyll and Hyde. I mean, it's got a lot of Jekyll and Hyde isms in it. Right. So. And we didn't even, we didn't even hit that, but that, and I didn't even really think about that, but you're 100% right. That actually is, I mean, I was, I was kind of hitting on the Incredible Hulk thing, but mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, Jekyll and Hyde, totally. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of that in there. And I mean, as a standalone, I think the last time I watched it before prepping for this was, uh, when Sven Gulli hosted it on MTV or MTV on MeTV. <laughs> wow. What MTV did you have? <laughs> yeah. That's I, awesome. That, that should be a thing. Um, <laughs> wow. Cause I watched it twice okay. last week. I don't know when I'll watch this again. Probably if it gets a Blu-ray release, I'll buy it. <laughs> oh, I will too. I laugh, but I will too. Yeah, I mean, as, like I said, I mean, you know, if you're into this stuff and we're into this stuff, I mean, you would, you would, you want everything, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I would certainly not leave this out. I, I didn't hate it. I made fun of it. You know, I have a lot of issues with the logic in it, but it's fun. And again, we talked about that dead girl bit. I'm never going to forget that. That is in my head forever now. So this left a mark, a disturbing mark, but it's a horror movie. Right. So it did, it did its job. 
it just didn't do its job in the way that I thought it would. <laughs> no, that's fair. That's totally fair. I, I agree with you. It's got some moments that are, again, I don't want to say forward thinking or progressive because it's got some terrible misogyny in it, but there are some things here that cinematic, it's cinematically progressive, I suppose, in terms of some of the violence that you see. Yeah. In the, not that we're saying here on Monster Kid Radio, oh, it's violent, so it's great, you know, just, it's, it's, you know, it, and, and sometimes, it, anyway, <laughs> a whole different topic. Yeah, um, yeah. it's interesting to see that in a Universal Monster movie wrapped up in Universal Monster movie music. In, in this kind of Jack Arnold presentation, you don't normally see it that much. And it's, if nothing else, that dead girl hanging from the tree is, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an image. I mean, that's the takeaway here. That's, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I really want to see that in IDAF. So, <laughs> oh, wow. All right. Uh, no, 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 not really. Yeah. I mean, I'll take it. I'll take it on Blu-ray. Sure. I'm not saying, but right. no, I mean, it's fun. That, ultimately, that's my takeaway is mm-hmm. it's fun. Mm-hmm. Well, let's put a pin in this then and uh, let's go ahead and wrap up. I want to let listeners know again where they can find you online with your podcast, my life in the shadow of the twilight zone.blogspot.com, also on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Tumblr, Facebook. Tum- okay. Yep. All over the place. It's everywhere. And, and people really, uh, it's a good show. I, I really, really dig it. And Craig does his homework and he does his post production and I really respect that. So listeners, Monster Kid Radio approves. Oh. There it is. There you, there you go. The Monster Kid Radio stamp of approval. There you go. Uh, can I use that? Sure, of course you can. Of course you can. I'm going to put that in all my stuff. Hey, there you Monster go. Kid Radio pull approved. This, pull this little bit of audio out and just throw it in there. See, you can say the Rondo winning podcast, Monster oh, Radio. Boy. I can say <laughs> Rondo, the Rondo award winning podcast, Monster Kid Radio approves. Okay. So I'm, I'm basically piggybacking on your success. I'm on, I'm on board with that. Piggyback. Cool. I'm a big guy. I got a big back. Come on on. Come on on. Right on. Awesome. <laughs> My Life in the Shadow of the Twilight Zone.blogspot.com is where you're going to find Craig's blog where he talks about Twilight Zone and he posts links to every episode of his podcast Between Light and Shadow. Check out the show. It's a very well done show. Craig knows his production. He knows what he's doing. I think this show, even though it's pretty young, is going to leave a definitive mark on Twilight Zone fandom for years to come, and I'm not just saying that because he had me on his show at the end of October. I appeared on episode five, where we talked about the episode, The Howling Man. It was about a 15-minute segment. However, Craig and I talked for about an hour, and he ended up putting that entire hour-long conversation out as like a bonus. So head over there to listen to that and to listen to Craig. Craig, thanks for being on the show this week. We'll have you back on down the line. Monstrous animals crawl out of crater of volcano. Great herds of cattle stampede before this living inferno. Vast area devastated by appalling new horror. A creature named the Black Scorpion by panic-stricken people of San Lorenzo. Entire population prays for deliverance. For miles around, cowboys came upon one dead steer after another. One of them had heard the tale of the demon bull of the Maricopa having lost family or friends, something absolutely unknown. We could be in another world. Nation's leaders confer as news received a possible threat to capital. This is a city of four million people. If word of these leaks out, the panic of the population could be worse than the scorpions. The black scorpion destroys communications. 
hundreds annihilated. achieved before by any science fiction picture. Thousands in the cast. Hello, Christopher. What insanity are you up to today? Oh, hey, Lydia. I'm downloading some movies. What? <laughs> People are always telling me that's illegal. Uh-uh, not these. They're all public domain. Oh, look, Rescue from Gilligan's Island. Well, let me see what you're doing. Oh, you're at archive.org. Well, they have thousands of films, TV shows, commercials, radio shows, and books available. Yeah, but there are so many. I wish there was a podcast or something that would discuss these things. You know, give us an idea of what's worth the time. Um, Christopher, there is. We do one. Oh, that's right. We host Orphan Entertainment. Once a month, we pick something and review and discuss it. Well, that sure is nice of us. <laughs> sure. Why don't you click over to Orphan Entertainment and remind yourself a little more about the show. Oh, will do. Let's see, that's at orphanentertainment.com. And yeah, it looks like we're available on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Oh, hey, can we review the Gilligan's Island movie someday? Mm-hmm, we'll see, Christopher. We'll see. No! Don't dig here. There's something evil down there. Great was the curse laid upon it. Great was the evil power granted it. Buried for 400 years, it still lives. Stare into these eyes if you dare, for every woman that does becomes a willing slave to the thing that couldn't die. You're not the same girl you were yesterday. Yesterday I was trying to do what was right. I was afraid. But I'm not afraid anymore. And every man becomes a monster. There's another casket buried somewhere on the ranch, Jessica, and Mr. Ash has promised us $5,000 if we can find it. Isn't it enough that two men are dead? Do the rest of you want to die, too? Greed had made them unearth the monstrous evil centuries old. Now they, and they alone, had to face the consequences.
brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. I want to thank everybody for listening. If you're new to the show because you found out about the podcast through the Scarathon, through my introducing the movies there, welcome to where all the cool Monster Kids hang out. Head over to MonsterKidRadio.net to learn everything you need to know about the podcast between episodes. That goes for any new listeners and old timers because we have links to our Facebook group, our Facebook page, our Patreon campaign where you can support the show. We have links to everything that we talk about here on the show. Craig's podcast, there's a link to every band whose songs have appeared on the show and our contact information is over there as well. Our email address is monsterkidradio at gmail.com and our voicemail line is 503-479-5657. That's 503-4795-MKR. Now that is a Google voicemail line, which means you've got a hard three minute limit. But if you have more than three minutes worth of content to share, either create your own audio file and send it to me by email or just call in more than once and I'll stitch it together in post. I mentioned the Scarathon a second ago. Well, that's what we're going to be talking about next week on Monster Kid Radio. I recorded a lot at the Joy Cinema. I had so much fun. It was a blast. I recorded my introductions to the five movies that we showed, and I recorded with Jeff Punkrock Martin, the man behind the Joy Cinema, and a number of other people who attended the show as well. Who did I record with? Well, you're going to have to come back next week, seven days. That would be on October 41st or November 10th, if you're using that boring traditional calendar, for episode 293 to hear all of that. In the meantime, remember that all original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song, I Just Cut My Surf Finger. That belongs to the Monterey, Mexico surf band Los Surfer Compadres. It's on their EP, Pool Party. You can check that out at lossurfercompadres.bandcamp.com or look them up on Facebook. There is a link in the show notes to get you to the band's page where you can buy the EP as well as their new album, Los Surfer Compadres and a Psychedelic Western. In the future, we'll probably play something off that album on Monster Kid Radio as well. So thanks to them. Thanks to you for listening. Talk to everybody next week. Ciao. Yeah.